This podcast is intended for adult audiences only and contains explicit language in spicy situations. And we do not replace any advice of professionals and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not reflect our own. Welcome to the Pineapple Express podcast. And I'm your host, Kylie, a.k.a. Sexy Swinger Chick. And I'm Brad, a.k.a. Brad the Space Cadet. Journey with us as we navigate in ethical non-monogamy, sex positivity, sex work, and relationship advice as millennial swingers. Explore with us as we share some of our upside-down pineapple ventures with you. All All aboard aboard the Pineapple Pineapple Express. Okay. So you're wondering how to get to a Swinger Society event to party with some of the hottest names in TikTok, OnlyFans, and social media? Well, head on over to theswingersociety.net and create a free profile, purchase exclusive memberships, and also see what other hot couples are going to the events. The Swinger Society is an inclusive event group, and they offer premium lifestyle events that you won't find anywhere else. We have a Discord with over 22,000 members, and we have a Facebook group as well. Head on over to swingersociety.net and join the fastest growing inclusive lifestyle community. Hey, Upside Down Pineapple people. Join the millions of couples enjoying amazing sex with Promescent. I personally love their variety of products they offer and their aloe-based lube is the only lube I've ever used that doesn't throw off my pH. Brad loves their delay spray, which is clinically proven to help men last longer in bed. Their products have a 60-day money-back guarantee and free shipping on orders in the U.S. over $10. Their shipping is discreet and private, which is perfect for us in the swinger lifestyle. Make sure that you go to www.promescent.com backslash Kylie for all your discreet sexual health needs. My link is in the show notes. Promescent helps you live your best upside down pineapple life. I get asked all the time, how do I get into the non-monogamous lifestyle? And I've got the solution for you. It's the three fun app. It's the best dating app for couples and singles looking to explore open relationships. It's totally millennial friendly, aka it's in the 21st century, you guys. This is finally a dating app for us non-monogamous folks who are looking for a unicorn, maybe you're looking for a bull, maybe you're looking for a couple. This is my favorite app and I use it all the time. If you wanna find a link to it, just go to www.sexyswingerchick.net and you'll find my link. I hope to see you guys there. Welcome to the Pineapple Express podcast. I'm your host, Kylie, the host with the most. Um, So I'm super excited to share this awesome podcast with you. It's with uh, Tess and Susan from NCSF. Those ladies are doing an amazing job um, at NCSF and they are talking about consent and we're having consent conversations because I don't know if you guys know this, but September is uh, Consent Counts Month with NCSF. And uh, basically what Consent Counts Month is, it's it's a full month of us putting out a ton of awesome um, educational resources for people in terms of consent, especially in the swinger lifestyle. Um, if you're really curious about consent or have questions, uh, the NCSF Freedom uh, website, so it's ncsfreedom.org, under their key programs, uh, look at Consent Counts, and there's a ton of amazing, awesome uh, things to read on there that will keep you going all month. Uh, so this month, or this year, 2023, it's Consent is Key in 2023. Um, and it's funny how that came about. 
that saying, I heard it when I was at a gay club and, and somebody was doing, um, they were doing like a, a drag show and talking about consent is key in 2023, um, which is awesome. And, you know, I would highly recommend uh, this month to like hold a consent mixer, which is what we're going to be doing at Secrets. So if you are going to Secrets in September to our wedding. So on Thursday, September 21st, we're going to be holding a consent mixer and uh, we're going to be talking, ha having consent conversations at our dinner. Um, you can throw a fundraiser for NCSF. They love fundraisers. Um, you can include on your website or on your social media even if you have like two followers, like who cares? Because you know what? Those two people need to learn about consent. And um, so, you know, there's tons of like infographics that you can get off of the NCSF website. Um, and, you know, just talking about it within your communities is so important. Um, sharing this podcast with your friends, with people who, you know, you think this could be they could benefit from this. Um newer people in the lifestyle, you know, share this with them, get the information out there. Um, that's what consent counts month is all about. Um, and you know, the topics aren't like sexy and fun, right? Like we're not talking about like all the sexy fun orgies and like all, you know, it, it can be kind of heavy stuff. Um, I'm not telling you guys any of this stuff and, and none of the stuff that we talk about in the podcast is to like scare people to like, keep them away from the lifestyle. Actually, we really want people to join the lifestyle. We want people who care about consent and want to learn about it um, because it's such an important piece of the um, swinger lifestyle puzzle. I mean, it's probably one of the most important pieces. And again, if you want to learn more about consent, if you want to learn more about NCSF, you can go to ncsfreedom.org. You can follow them on social media. We have a new TikTok and somebody I know is <laughs> running it. So um, I'm on the NCSF PR committee. So we do a ton of PR. We do a ton of awesome social media stuff. Um, we're growing where, um, you know, a lot of amazing things in 2023 have happened through NCSF. And I just love this organization because they're really advocating for a healthy, supportive swinger lifestyle and non-monogamous lifestyle. Um, and also, they are really, really big in the BDSM and kink community. So if you are a part of those communities, it's just an awesome organization to uh, follow and support. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to support um, them by, you know, donating. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, they, they are a nonprofit organization and, um, you know, that's their bread and butter and it really helps them get to events and educate people. But truthfully, what NCSF wants is they just want people to get the word out and spread, you know, the education and the knowledge um, that in the years of work, I mean, it's been 26 years of work that they've put into this organization and so many amazing things have come out of it. And um, if, if you can do anything, you know, share infographics, share stuff on your social media, um, talk about it, you know, just start having these conversations. And that's really what it's all about. So um, in my, you know, be, you know, beginning, I want to talk about something called stealthing. And this goes along with consent. Um, so a lot of people don't know what stealthing is. I'll explain what stealthing is. And then um, I'm going to give you an excerpt from Reddit 
on um, a situation that happened. And then I'm going to give you tools to help yourself if this does ever happen to you or if it ever happens to a friend or someone that you know, you can help them. Okay, so stealthing is the act of taking off your condom without the consent of your partner mid-act or trying to, you know, having penetrating somebody without a condom without their consent. So one of the things to note is that uh, protection and STI status, those are both things that are involved with consent in the swinger lifestyle. Um, Unfortunately, this is becoming somewhat of a trend in the swinger lifestyle. And I say that because I've seen a lot of Reddit posts recently and I've seen a lot of Facebook posts of people having these conversations and talking about how, oh, I met a single man online and this happened and So um, that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up today. I'm not bringing it up to scare people. I'm not trying to like make you, oh my God, you're not going to go to a swinger event and this is like 100% going to happen to you. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I want it to be something that you watch out for. I want it to be something that you educate your friends about and that, you know, we know about because it's been happening. Um, So this post that I read on Reddit, and this is what inspired me, I suppose, to um, have this conversation is... Um, it's first bad experience since becoming swingers and it's really long, but I'll just kind of read the gist of it. So about halfway in while going at it doggy style, I happened to glance behind me and noticed he was filming me on his phone. I immediately told him to stop and he, and asked if I could see his phone so I could personally delete the video. I honestly should have stopped things right there and I'm kicking myself over it. What happened next has truly been messing with me. A short time later, his condom slipped off, which I hadn't noticed until he said something along the lines of, oh yeah, you like it bare, which quickly grabbed my attention and I asked him to stop, but he continued on. At that moment, I I was stuck in my head, wanting everything to stop, but unable to move or speak another word for a couple of minutes before I finally pushed him off and went to the bathroom. Which, guys, if, if you don't know, this is called um, fawning. When, and, and this happens a lot when you're in situations, non-consensual situations. You will stop like a deer in the headlights. That's why they call it fawning. And you won't know what to do. And we do talk about this in the podcast, by the way. Um, so every, um, everything to stop, but unable to move or speak a word for a couple of minutes before I finally pushed him off and went to the bathroom. Once I came out, he apologized and said he got carried away in the heat of the moment. When everything was done, we came back out and I acted like everything was fine since I hadn't properly processed everything. Plus, I don't tend to enjoy confrontations. Okay, so that's the gist of it. You guys, this is such a common thing that happens when you are in a situation like stealthing. Um, Stealthing is considered sexual assault. In my opinion, it's considered rape. Now, there are no legal ramifications against stealthing. But you guys, this is a very serious matter. And that is exactly why this person... um, acted like this first of all when you are involved in a sexual assault situation similar to this um or just like this it takes a long time to process situations like this um you think what could I have done differently what's wrong with me why didn't I stand up for myself you know but our bodies also protect us and that's why 
this person went into um, the fawning mode. Um, so I'm not telling you guys this to scare you. Again, I'm, I'm not saying that this happens all the time, but it's something to be aware of. And um, some of the things that you can do to um, make sure that if this does happen to you or a friend or somebody you know, make sure that if you're at a resort or if you're at a swinger event, that you um, definitely 100% contact management, contact um, the people who are there to help you, security, whoever you feel comfortable with. Go talk to a friend. Go talk to some, you know, the event coordinators. Go talk to the club owner, like whoever you feel comfortable talking to. Make sure that you let them know that this happened to you sooner than later. And I know that that's difficult and I know that that's hard, especially because we do have processing time when things like this happen. But make sure that you let somebody know, um, because this could be a predatory behavior that this person, you know, has done more than once. And we want to make sure that we get that person out of these communities because we don't want that happening to anybody else. Okay, so let's say that you meet the person on field or three fun or um, SLS or SCC, wherever you meet them online. Right. And um, this does happen. One thing, you know, because you can't really who are you going to report that to? You could report it to the um, app, you know, the people that run the app or the, you know, the people you know, contact the admins of the websites and stuff like that and let them know. And that's awesome. And you definitely should do that. But um, another resource for you is to definitely 100 percent contact NCSF and make sure that you report this situation um, to them. So you can do that under their incident reporting and response. And um, they're going to get you the help that you need when it comes to um, reporting, it's, you know, their incident reporting and response, they provide assistance for individuals, groups, and businesses who are involved with kink, polyamory, and lifestyle communities. So make sure that if you are involved in a situation where someone violates your consent, that you, you know, report it to NCSF so they can help you and they can provide services for you and outreach for you. Um, They're really, really good at all of this. Uh, They have, again, 26 years of experience in doing this. So uh, I would just definitely highly recommend if you're in a situation like this or similar to this, or you know somebody who's told you, hey, this happened to me at this event, or, you know, make sure that you let them know that they have this resource available to them on the NCS freedom website so i hope you guys really enjoy this podcast like i said it's a little deep um it's a lot of education and it's definitely something that i would highly recommend sending to your friends sending to people in the lifestyle sending to people in the ethical non-monogamy lifestyle to talk about consent and start having these conversations more and more guys um Before we get into any of it, I do want to let everybody know that Secrets is coming, you guys. If you haven't booked your room, just so you know, it is sold out. It's been sold out for a while. I know that they had a couple of people cancel and then like rooms became available. You might at this point be able to email them and see if like people have canceled. I know a lot of people cancel like last minute um, because that's like. Anytime that we've done a takeover, we've seen like a couple of people, you know, things come up, emergencies happen. So get on the waiting list for a room if you want a room there. But you can always stay off, um, you know, 
off the I don't want to say like resort or campus, but you can stay off resort and you can stay at there's like tons of overflow hotels by there. Um, but I highly recommend going, guys. And plane tickets are down like me and Brad just got our plane ticket to Orlando and it was like $70 round trip, like no stops in between. Hello, baby. Like, that's awesome. So. I definitely just recommend going for the weekend um, and having fun and seeing us get married. And even if you just want to come to come to this consent meeting, like or the consent dinner that we're throwing uh, with Boston Swinger King and Boston Swinger Queen, like you guys just come out and have fun with us. Um, This is going to be the biggest and best Swinger Society event to date. We have a ton of amazing surprises. Uh, The Swing Nation and Swinger Society group like they are going all out for you for this event. So I highly recommend coming, you guys. I'm so excited. Plus, me and Brad are getting married. Like, who wouldn't want to be there? So uh, definitely come. It's September 21st through the 24th. We're going to be there. Uh, So it's a Thursday through um, Monday morning event. Well, we're leaving Monday morning. So highly recommend going. Uh, If you guys want tickets to that, If you want day passes, I do have a link on um, or in the show notes. Um, And I will also link the overflow hotels for you. And um, I will link the uh, email to write to if you want to get on the waiting list for that. So without further ado, here is Miss Tess and Susan from NCSF, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. And we are talking consent, baby. Anxiety can cause ED like the kind you get while watching your partner with someone else. You're having the time of your life, yet are having stage fright. Most men in the lifestyle use prescription ED medication for this reason. Shameless Care should be your provider. Shameless is less expensive than other companies and has a 50-state network of physicians who are lifestyle-friendly. Use coupon code CHIC, that's C-H-I-C, for $30 off. Shamelesscare.com. Okay, so I have Susan and Tess from NCSF, the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. And uh, Tess is the NCSF chairperson. She also heads the committee of the um, Educational Outreach Program Committee. And Susan, she's been on my podcast before. Um, And Susan is the executive director and spokesperson for NCSF. So welcome, ladies. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're so happy to be here. So it's September 1st, so that means it's Consent Counts Month uh, for NCSF, and NCSF does a huge social media campaign, a ton of of cool stuff on the website about consent and consent education. So um, I wanted to start off this month with a bang and have you ladies on here and chat consent, red flags uh, in the you know, ethical non-monogamy space, as well as uh, predatory behavior was what to look out for. So I would like for you guys to just give me a rundown of who you are. Uh, I know we've had Susan on here before, Tess, we haven't. So if you want to make it a little longer, that's okay. But, and we'll start with you, Tess. So tell us who you are, how you came about with NCSF. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, I'm the current chair Uh, But I've been volunteering with NCSF for a very long time. Susan and I have been friends for a very long time. And um, when NCSF got started, um, there's 
there's nothing not to want to be a part of. Um, milestone events like depathologizing BDSM in the DSM-5, explicit prior permission with the American Law Institute in 2021, making consent a part of our conversation in a way that never happened before. I come from the kink space. I was a later addition to the, the non-monogamy space. I think Susan came at it from the opposite direction. <laughs> um, and we are, NCSF framed these conversations in a way that I can't imagine anyone not wanting to be a part of. Honoring sort of the various needs of various communities and constituencies and voices in a way that was never done outside of individual clubs or groups or events. And um, all, all I bring to that is my individual perspective. Um, chairman doesn't mean much in the NCSF. We all function as a team and of which you are a part. Um, and I'm very excited to be here to talk about consent at the beginning of consent month. Yeah, me too. Susan, tell us a little bit about you. And, um, you know, I, we know, I, I think if you listen to the last pod, if uh, the listeners listen to the last podcast, they know all about your story, but tell us kind of just where you're at now with NCSF and how you got there. Sure. So, yeah, I've been, um, non-monogamous for well over 30 years and then started exploring kink while I was in a non-monogamous relationship. And it's been going ever since I ended up gathering the first five groups together to form the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom. And I stuck with it uh, for 26 years because we keep on finding the right projects that need to be done. We're very much a grassroots volunteer organization. So it's, it's a wonderful organization that anybody can get involved with and participate and feel like they are making a difference. They can make a change in this world sometimes that seems so big and unwieldy, but this is something that you can work on if you're passionate about non-monogamy, if you're passionate about kink and our sexual freedom. Absolutely. Yes. I, by the way, guys who are listening, I love NCSF. I feel like in the, in the, I want to say like year and a half that myself and uh swinger society has been a part of NCSF. Um, we have had so many conversations around consent um, and you see them every day growing and not just online, but like when I started in the swinger community, we never had these conversations about consent. I didn't even know what consent really meant, you know, and, and now the edge or, you know, the education of the masses. Um, and I know this past July, Tess and I were at Naughty in New Orleans. And so many people were like at those classes wanting to learn and people really want to learn about it. And I just, I love what you guys do. So thank you so much. Um, so I think it's really important today that we talk about, you know, red flags in the non-monogamy space um, because I didn't know when I started swinging. What were some things to look for, even in yourself as well? I think that's a big thing. You know, sometimes we don't know until we don't know. And we have to learn like, okay, maybe that's not an okay behavior. So um, my first question is, you know, what are some key indicators or red flags that individuals should look for and identify as predatory behavior in the swinger lifestyle? So say at an event 
or at, you know, um, or if you're chatting with someone online or if you're at a club, you know, what should people be looking for in terms of predatory behavior? We'll start with Tess. So typically, a red flag describes behavior that are sort of early warning signs in a relationship that trouble might be ahead. I don't always love this red flag language because often those same words encompass behaviors that a partner can't tolerate or an odd behavior that someone can't explain from their own frame of reference. This sort of sweeping language puts the responsibility and blame on potential partners rather than what should really happen, which is we should employ some critical thinking, discuss things in an open, honest, and direct way. Uh, For just as an example, this sort of wide sweeping language does things like paint someone who is simply neurodivergent as a potential predator rather than a neurotypical person taking sort of a shared responsibility and understanding. So I tend in my language to use risk factor rather than red flag to discuss problematic behavior because it forces someone to identify what the potential risk is rather than just painting things we don't like as poor behavior. So risk factors include things like being very aware of people asking you for more information, disclosure, or risk than they themselves are willing to offer, which speaks to someone setting up an unequal dynamic right away and needs to be explored prior to engaging. Right? Well, I can't do that online because I'm this very important person mm-hmm. would speak as a risk factor to me. Mm-hmm. But you expect me to do that. Right? Yeah. Susan, do you want to talk a little more about sort of those risk factors or red flags? Sure. Yeah. I think it's it's a great way to put it. It's not just something that you might not like or that makes you uncomfortable in in interacting with that person, you can make the decision to just withdraw, but it's potential problems. It's it's signs of lack of respect or lack of equality that can kind of point to unhealthy relationship dynamics. And I think these are things like if somebody is making decisions about your time without asking you what what you want to do. Okay, we're going to go here. We're going to do this without exploring with you what you want to do and why you want to do it, right? So you're both coming to the table equally. Um, and, and it could be things like somebody criticizing you and trying to get you to change your behavior. I want you to be more like this when you're in this place, or I want you to wear this when you go here. You know, that's something that's crossing from somebody's personal behavior into your behavior and then trying to dictate your behavior. Um, I think that anytime you're um, afraid to be honest about what you think and you feel, you need to like raise the red flag inside yourself and go, why am I walking on eggshells here? Why am I concerned that this person's going to freak out? And often that's accompanied by things like um, conflicts are never resolved. You know, it just, there is never an apology for a mistake. Um, instead, any kind of issues are just ignored. And, and blame can come in here too. Like where if you're blamed, for every time something goes wrong in the relationship and the other person doesn't take blame or somebody blames all of their previous partners. 
it, I really think it's a red flag when somebody, every single previous partner in their past, they're, criti- they're critical of their previous partners. They, they don't accept responsibility for their part in whatever might have gone wrong. Oh, she those- was crazy. She yeah. was just crazy. <laughs> it's like, okay, so then you've dated three or four people who are crazy. Okay, now I'm seeing like a common denominator here. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. These kinds of things are things that they're not consent violations. They're not boundary crossing, but they're things that can indicate that the dynamic is unhealthy and that, that things are getting out of skew. So I think that's what people need to be aware of. Yeah. And like a really good example of, of that, I think within the swinger non-monogamy space, and I actually just did a podcast about this, but like the one penis policy, have either of you, either of you ever heard of this policy? Um, <laughs> that to me personally is a risk factor because it just feels, you know, I think in the swinger lifestyle, there's a lot of balance. And I think in the ethical non-monogamy space, there's a lot of balance. Um, I mean, of course that is, it's not always a risk factor though, because sometimes that, but it's just really important to communicate. Um, And I think that's the biggest thing is like communication. Um, And another huge risk factor I would say is drinking or taking drugs and being pressured to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that that's a, in fact, we often see that's a precursor to a consent violation. If mm-hmm. somebody pressuring you to drink, pressuring you to take drugs, uh, come on, just come along, just, you know, play along, it'll, it'll, it'll help. It'll, like, it'll help what? You know, it'll help me not be in my right mind. So yeah, I think that that is definitely a big red flag. If you ever feel pressured to, to drink or take drugs, yeah. Get, Extract yourself from that situation. Because we know from research and data, right, sometimes predators get people to take drugs because they are significantly less likely to report to the police if they felt themselves complicit in the act. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, I I talk about this a lot because I'm a sober swinger. Um, People and this is a big conversation that I think that we're starting to have as a community. The culture of I wouldn't necessarily say drugs is a huge culture in this, at least not in the circles I run in. But uh, drinking is a huge culture in the swinger community and and in spaces like you know orgy places and um, in you know this is in the polyamorous community. I don't know so much about the kink community. Maybe maybe you guys know, but it's a big part of the culture and people don't realize you cannot consent if you're over the legal limit. And that's one drink an hour. Okay. And impaired is impaired, right? And, and nobody's ever going to say you and your partner at home can't have a glass of wine and do what you do. But there's a difference between a committed relationship that already has very clear structure, boundaries, and conversation around it. And this whole sort of casual play where we're falling down drunk before we ever agree to anything. Everybody's in trouble there, right? Everybody has a risk there. Yeah, I agree. 100%. What do you think, Susan? Yeah, I agree too. Um, we, we see this in any kind of community. Anytime some it's a, it's a drinking culture uh, lack of inhibitions, lack of ability to judge for yourself can come into play. So especially if you're new 
to the lifestyle and you want to go out and go to like different clubs, you know, the, the tendency is, oh, I want to have a drink to take the edge off. And then I'm going to take another drink because this feels so good. It might be better to, to go in a little bit more edgy and, and sober and, and thoughtful about it, especially if it's, you're exploring with a partner because you want to make sure you can still connect with that partner and have a conversation with that partner as you're exploring. Absolutely. And this is something I wish I would have learned early on, you know, in the swinger lifestyle, like it's okay to like take it slow and not drink. But I think that when you're newer, you just want to jump in and you're excited and then you're nervous and like, you know, it's a new environment. So, uh, you know, drinking can take the edge off, but it's just, that's a risk that, you know, you're putting not only yourself at risk, but you're putting others at risk when you do, when you have behaviors like that. So, um, so I want to know like what steps can both experienced and this is especially for like newbie swingers uh, take to ensure that consent is always respected and boundaries are upheld in the swinger lifestyle. What can you do as a couple? What can you do as an individual? How can you um, ensure just that everyone's going to be consenting and that's upheld? I would definitely say talk before you do anything. And this is so counterintuitive because we're not taught how to talk about sex. So we're kind of coming into these spaces, you know, that where we can do a lot of things, but we haven't got the words and we haven't had the practice. So I think that sexy foreplay includes, um, you know, telling somebody what you like to do and, and asking them what, what do you want to do? You know, that can, um, and everything else should be off limits. If you don't talk about it, you really should consider it off limits. You don't want to spring something on somebody in the midst, especially somebody new who you're playing with. You want to make sure that you're within those little those little boundaries. So you you need to learn how to talk about it, um, uh, whether it's in the heat of the moment, like at a club. Some people are like, how do I do this? You know, right at this moment. Well, think about it. You know, even practice in the mirror and and. Think about if you meet somebody and you're heading to the back, right? How are you going to disclose your STI status? How are you going to make it clear? Uh, don't go anywhere near my bum, you know? <laughs> like, you want to, like, make sure that you have this in your mind and how you can communicate that, as well as, like, if you're going out on a date and you meet somebody on a dating app, right? Uh, you can have that conversation a little bit more spread out. But when you're in one of these clubs, you're going to be able to have to, to to communicate that information pretty quickly. And you can't feel we have this saying in the kink community that if you're you can't talk about it, you're not ready to do it. And I do think that that does translate to the lifestyle as well. I 100 percent agree. I always say that if you can't talk about it, then you're not ready for it. You know, you're you're not you don't, if you don't have the language for it either, you know, and I think um, podcasts like this are great and and listening to others kind of help you give the language. I mean, go online and read, read stuff online, read some books, but it's all about the, the language. And, um, you know, just when you're in the heat of the moment, sometimes it's scary, but like, uh, make it sexy, you know, I mean, would you agree, Tess? I would. And, you know, learning terrific negotiating skills is is probably the best thing you can do for yourself, right? Not only do we discuss these things ahead of time, we also discuss feelings and things and instances as they arise, as well as upfront designing times we're going to check in on our progress, even if we don't think there's a problem. And not setting and maintaining those sort of firm and healthy boundaries is an open invitation for others to disrespect you. 
boundaries aren't just a sign of healthy relationships. They are that as well, but they're also a sign of self-respect. So we have to give ourselves permission to set boundaries and work to preserve those. I am fond of saying to potential partners, having good boundaries makes you trustworthy. If I can't trust you to say no, how can I possibly trust your yes? Yeah, I agree 100%. And I think with couples too, like that was something we had to navigate early on was like, that's our biggest thing when we're swapping or when we're at an event or we're at a club, we both have to consent to the situation, right? So before he does anything, you know, we have that conversation and I always tell couples, I'm like, if you see another couple walk to the side and have a side conversation with each other, that is not a risk factor. That's actually a green flag. We love that because that means that their communication skills are are good and they're communicating with each other about what's okay and what's not. Because with one couple, it might be different than with another couple and that's okay. Um, so it's really, we, that's what we like to do. We, we move to the side. Hey, is it okay if I kiss her? Is it okay if I kiss him? Um, you know, is it okay if we do this sort of BDSM thing or cut queening, you know, um, what are you comfortable with in this scenario? And then he'll tell me, I'll tell him, and then we'll walk over and then we will negotiate that with the couple. So we'll all four do it together. So I think you can still make it sexy, but you can still make it safe in everyone's boundaries. Um, you know, because you every day is different. You might be feeling a certain way. Maybe you really like this couple and you really want to explore more with them. Maybe you're a little cautious and you're like, okay, they're newer. We don't want to go, go overboard with them. So um, I think that those are all great things to think about, but boundaries, especially within the couple's dynamics, for sure. I agree with that completely. And look at how much better your relationship is with, with your partner if you can have that kind of communication and think about this, we're, we're, we draw boundaries with all kinds of people, not just our partners. And so learning how to enforce your boundaries can help in a lot of different ways in your work, with your family, as well as with your partner. And I think this is what helps build the trust. Like Tess was talking about, you can't trust somebody to hold up their boundaries. Um, it, it's difficult to feel like you're on a firm foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I think too, it builds self-esteem. Um, that's a big thing too. When you have firm boundaries, you can build a lot of that self-esteem. Like once you start saying no, you know, um, especially if you're someone like, I'm not really a shy person and you know, I'm not really like, but if you're somebody who's maybe a little bit shyer or maybe a little bit, you know, has problems saying, no, you're a people pleaser. Women, we tend to do that a little bit. (laughs) Um, it helps you build that self-esteem with your partner and and with others. And those are great skills to start building. And then like you'll go to work and you'll be like, oh, I'm saying no to my boss more, you know, in your family. I'm saying no to like doing all these things, you know, so it's it really helps you build not only intimacy with your partner because you have that trust, but like skills within yourself, which is awesome. Um, I'm a sex worker. And one of the biggest things that my first boundary with the guys when we go to the back is like, hey, no holes, man, you know, and and I kind of make it sexy and funny with them because obviously, you know, you know, I don't want to be like, 
oh my God, you can't touch my butt uh, because my manager is watching and I don't want to get fired, you know, say it in a fun way, you know? So when you go to the back with another couple, you know, you can, you can be sexy about it. Um, you can say, oh, you know what, what I really like to do is I like it when you touch me like this, or I like to have gentle sex or really rough sex, you know, use, find, know what you like and tell them. So next thing is resources. I want to talk about resources. Um, cause I don't think a lot of people realize that they have resources and I've noticed this, especially like <laughs> when navigating um, different groups, like online, I'm like, okay, you know that you can go to NCSF and report situations. They can help you. Right. But people don't realize this. So can you guys talk a little bit about what resources people have, not only through NCSF, but like through other other places that you know of just if um, consent is violated or, um, you know, what can people do to kind of help themselves through that situation? Yeah, sure. I'm glad you bring up the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom because we have a, a direct services. It's called incident reporting and response that people can come to us and they can report what's happening they can get referrals for resources, educational resources. Sometimes people are like, is this assault? Did, you know, did something happen? Is this a red flag? Is this not? Um, and we can, we can give information. Um, we can, we have tons of resources on our website. So definitely go and check out ncsfreedom.org. Uh, but you can also get that direct help from an individual. And one of the big things that we do is we refer people to victim services. Um, there's all kinds of different victim service agencies. A lot of these are very grassroots and um, are local. So they can they understand the legal situation so they can help counsel you if you kind of want to report it to the police. They can sometimes go with you to report it. Uh, they can walk you through the process of reporting. Nobody should have to report a crime alone. And these victim advocacy agencies are just wonderful with helping individuals who come. They also offer free counseling. I mean, when you've had a traumatic event happen, you want to talk it through with somebody. The saddest thing is when I talk to somebody and they say, five years ago this happened, and you can tell it's just as fresh to them as it was five years ago because they've never really verbalized it. They'll often say, I never told anybody about this. And what that does is it keeps it inside of you and it keeps that wound very fresh and it interferes because that's what trauma does. It puts you onto a fight or flight sort of, you know, loop. And so if you talk to one of these trained trauma counselors, they can really, and it's free at the victim advocacy agencies, they can really kind of like help you work through the process. And NCSF has done a lot of training of these agencies. We give them cultural competency trainings so that you don't have to worry that you're going to be the first person they hear uh, that, that you went to a club and something happened. They know they know about our, our communities and they're ready to help. Yeah. And in addition to, oh, I'm sorry, Kylie. Oh, no, you're good. I wanted, I was actually going to hear from you next. In addition to NCSF's incident reporting and response and victim services, if law enforcement is involved, NCSF also has our kink and poly aware directory, which has in uh, trauma informed therapists 
because victim services is not always something that's appropriate in that circumstance. But CAP has lots of wonderful psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, and therapists who can help people move through some of that. Yeah. And like, we're not telling people this to like scare them. Like if you're new to the lifestyle and you're like, oh my God, I'm going to go through trauma, you know, but I think it's, it's really good to just be aware that you do in case something does happen. Um, cause you never know, uh, wherever you are in the world, things like this can happen. So it's really good to just have resources, have people to reach out to. Um, and can you talk a little bit about the incident reporting, um, which you can do online through NCSF? Yeah, it's very important that we hear about the issues that are happening in our communities because NCSF is directly responsive to our grassroots communities. That means the educational groups, the clubs, the events. And we want to hear what's happening there so that we can make sure that we're giving the education that we need to to the group owners, to the organizers, so that they're providing the right education to their attendees. And so when you come to incident reporting and response, you can fill out a form, you can just send an email, and we'll ask you what it is that you need and what you're looking for, and we can just provide that for you. Uh, we, we, are, we kind of work on a big, broad uh, range of stuff because, like you said, this doesn't, doesn't just have to do with the lifestyle or with kink. A lot of people are not aware that this is out there, that these services are there, that People are ready to help you. And it could just be, you know, it doesn't have to be a sexual assault kind of trauma. It, there's all kinds of, you know, harassment. There's, uh, you know, trying to deal with like, well, I have this issue. I'm not sure about my boyfriend. You know, interpersonal things they'll talk to you about as well. They're very wonderful in helping people deal with this. And it's, it's an underused resource. So I always like to talk about it because, hey, you're having a problem, give these folks a call. There's somebody just waiting to talk to you. And again, like Susan said, this helps organizations and event owners and especially these big events, you know, it helps them learn what their community needs so that we can avoid situations like this for the next time and just continue to get better. So I think it's really important to, you know, report those. And even if it's not a, a, a big incident in your mind, you know, a big incident, um, it really does help get the education out there, which I think is the biggest piece of all of this is the education piece of it and just helping people, you know, realize not only that they have resources, but like finding the consent language and all of that, which NCSF provides on the website. So um, again, if you guys haven't been to the NCSF, so it's uh, ncsfreedom.com, right? Or .org. It's .org. That's .org. And it's going to be in the show notes, of course. But yeah, and the um, incident reporting is on the website. You can just go on like the drop down menu. Um, so my next question in also in that is um, what are some strategies and techniques that can be employed to empower individuals to assert their boundaries and communicate their consent effectively in the swinger lifestyle? Um, and to kind of add to that is like, how can we as individuals empower ourselves? Because that's a big piece of this puzzle, especially in the swinger lifestyle is saying no, 
saying I don't like that, saying I'm uncomfortable with this. Um, there was a big situation in a club uh, close to me that I worked closely with this past weekend. They had a big takeover and there was a lot of watchers. There was a lot of voyeurs, which of course we know is a big part of the swinger lifestyle. But some people were uncomfortable with all the voyeurism going on by single men. So like you have to say, Hey, I'm not okay with this. Like, so can you guys explain to us a little bit? And we'll uh we'll start with Susan for this one. How can you empower yourselves and what kind of language can you use in these one, you know, one-on-one or 10-on-one situations in the heat of the moment? You know, I do think that um practicing, honestly, talking with a friend about it, somebody who's in the lifestyle, you could even be at uh one of these events. And say, hey, you know, I kind of want to like talk about what it is that I like or don't like and to kind of practice with this. And I think you can also practice it with like your partner in terms of like texting them. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about these might be my boundaries for this upcoming event. Like you said, everything changes. I would always just check in with my partner and see like, okay, we're going to go to this event this weekend. This is kind of what I'm thinking about. What are you thinking about? And we found that like sometimes emailing it back and forth or texting it back and forth made it less pressure filled. People could think about it before they responded. And I know Tessa's got a lot of great ideas about this too. So there's a lot of things you can do because part of the part of the challenge with this, particularly on site at an event, is you're not ready for the question or you're not ready for the answer, right? that that question or that situation never even entered your frame of reference, so you were not prepared. So it's really useful to sort of practice a little bit, right? Sit down with yourself and think of sort of three things that you don't want people to do around you. Three things you don't want people to do to you. Three things you don't want people to say to you. Or come up with your five the five things you want people, to, someone to do to you and then practice them in the mirror, say it out loud and you feel absolutely silly, but it doesn't matter and say them and practice and practice and practice. And then when those situations come up, you don't feel awkward about that language anymore. So you might say to that group of people, Hey, I dig that you're watching. Could you step back five more feet, that would be super great. Mm -hmm. But in the heat of the moment, when everybody's undressed, that might be a difficult thing to say unless you've practiced that a whole bunch of times. And then it will just roll off your tongue like you're ordering a glass of water. Yeah, I agree. And I, but it's, it is hard. I mean, I write everything down too. Cause like, that's how my brain works. So sometimes journaling it, um, so those are great prompts. If you're like me and you write stuff down, that's how I, re- you know, keep information in my noggin. But uh, definitely, I think, you know, finding out the first step of all of this is like what Tess said, like finding out what you like and what you don't like. And again, these are going to change situation to situation, club to club. You might feel more comfortable at your home club than if you're at a new event and you don't know anybody. Um, maybe you're someone like me who really doesn't care if I'm naked around everybody. Like that's fine with me, but not everybody 
is comfortable. And, and we also, as people who are going to the clubs and stuff too, we have to be cognizant of like other people's boundaries and that, um, so always ask and always communicate that with people. Hey, is this, you know, even, and sometimes I feel like I overdo it a little bit, but really there's no overdoing it. Right. Like you can't be, especially in a swinger situation and in a non-monogamous situation for sure. Yeah, I agree with that because the more you can communicate, people are impressed by it. Because first of all, they're, they don't see that very often. So you might feel odd doing it, but it's something that people give a lot of respect to. Uh, those who can actually say what it is they, you know, look up with a smile. Hey, you know, could you back up three feet? Thanks a lot. I love that you're watching. I just need some distance here. And then if they don't, you know, do what you need, you know, or Tell your partner, hey, we need to go back to the back and get a private room. You know, this is kind of killing my buzz here. Um, but and then if something that isn't working for you, definitely communicate to the people who are at the club. Mm-hmm. And let the volunteers know, let the owner know, let the person at the front door know. They can't do anything if they don't know about it. And you never know when something that is kind of minor that's happening to you is might be the last straw. You know what I mean with with this person. So you you've got to communicate and let them know what's happening as well to make a better space for all of us. Yeah, and it also you know that protects your fellow community members when when you do things like that and when you go and talk to event owners because like in reality you know nobody wants to be the snitch right like you don't want to be the guy who's like oh my god you know to the event owner but like you never know the situation and you know so, and sometimes people i think people come by it like they don't mean to be i guess for lack of a better term you know predatory per se right like they don't mean to continue watching you or like you know um they don't mean to be like that but some of them so but it's still good to just talk about it and the event owners aren't you know like they're not going to go back and it's, it's, it's not a gossipy thing. You know, it, it comes from a good place. Yeah. They're there to educate people. A lot of times they just need to pull somebody away and say the etiquette in this space is to do this or, Hey, you know, you might be making people uncomfortable if you're staring too hard. So sometimes it's just, you're doing that person a favor. You don't have to be the one to educate them. You can just kind of notify the person who has all those words and has that um, power to be able to do that. Yeah. And and like, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. And to tack on what Susan just said, you are in fact doing them a service because the best thing we can learn as we navigate our communities and navigate creating the life we want is to separate refusal from rejection. Mm. Right. I don't want this is very different from I hate you and you suck. And, but we've been taught that no is a bad thing. We've been taught it's impolite or impolitic, or if someone tells you no, they're rejecting you. And that is not at all the case. We come to our communities to create this magical life that we want. And everyone is entitled to do that. And just because someone isn't part of the magical universe that I have created for myself doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. They're just a different kind of magic that I'm after. And and that changes 
like I keep saying, like based on even the day or the event or the people you're around, that changes so often. And that's why it's so important to before you even like what me and Brad do is like before we even go to an event, we're like, hey, man, let's so we don't talk about expectations ever because you can never have any expectations. Right. Because that's not fair to put those on other people and on yourselves and but I, we always have that conversation of like, oh, you know what would be really fun and really sexy if like we swapped with a new couple, you know, maybe we should like seek out a new couple that we've never swapped with before, you know, and we just have like those fun, sexy conversations with each other. So that helps us both build the language with each other um, so that we can build language with others. And um, again, it's that communication piece. I know that we like preach this till we're blue in the face here in the swinger lifestyle, but like, it's all about communicating. Um, and it does get easier over time. I would definitely say you learn over time and just develop techniques as a couple. So, um, so the big one is also like as women, right. Saying no. Cause like Tess was saying, um, sometimes it's, kind of hard for us to say no because like we're we're from a society where like women are supposed to be these like kind of submissive objects I guess um and and that does I think reign true in the swinger lifestyle but like avoiding situations before they even happen by saying no and saying what you want and creating boundaries with people you know if someone is being too pushy in a play area you have to be the one because that's going to avoid any situations like, hey, man, I don't like you touching my butt. I don't like you slapping me. That doesn't feel good. Can you please stop? Um, I think those are it's really important to empower us, especially as women um, and men, too, but like to empower each other, I think, too. Um, so this is the big one that I really wanted to talk about. Um power dynamics. I did not realize power dynamics were a thing when I got into the swinger lifestyle. I had no idea that I had this, like, because I do social media and have a podcast and stuff that I had like this privilege. I had no idea that like, that was a consent thing until we're doing this consent class with Susan on the discord. And she's like, Oh yeah. Yeah. The social media influencers and stuff like that. Power dynamics are off. And I was like, what? Um, so I really want to spend some time talking about power dynamics, manipulation and coercion and how those affect consent and why that's an issue and who those people are with those higher power dynamics. Tess, yeah? So, um, <laughs> now this is interesting because it's kind of two sides of the coin. So I'll take one mm-hmm. side and I'll let Tess take the other. But when you're talking about it for yourself, um, for about privilege, I think it comes back to what we were just touching on, which is um, personal responsibility. You definitely have to take personal responsibility and not kind of abdicate responsibility when you come up against somebody who might have more uh, power in the community. They're with the in crowd. You know, they're in the midst of the whole conversation going on and 
you're with your your partner on the other side of the room going, gosh, I wish I was part of that, right? So you kind of abdicate um, power to these people because, you know, they have more privilege and and you're kind of looking to to be part of all of that. And that can be uh, that can be a problem. I mean, you have to still hold your own boundaries. You have to still tell people what you want. You can't assume that just because somebody is more experienced that they know the way things should go because each person is different. You bring your own um, likes and wants to this, and they should be having individual interactions with people based on where your Venn diagram crosses, right? So it's, you know, you can't just blindly trust, especially when you're brand new, you can't just blindly trust the people who are more experienced or maybe the, the volunteers. And it's, it's often not like the club owner or the organizer. They're busy, right? They're, they're often not playing as much. But it's the, it's the person who comes to the club every Friday, right? It's the podcaster. It's the, you know, the, the volunteer who has the key, you know, and is doing so much work in the club and they become kind of a fixture. So, or somebody who says that they want to like mentor you or guide you through learning about the lifestyle or about kink. So these people should not be pressuring you. They should never try to get you to do things with other people. And you should not be abdicating responsibility to these people and um, letting them kind of hustle you down a path that maybe you're not ready to do. So be aware that there is a dynamic that's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other side of that is those of us with privilege or experience or to Susan's point status need to acknowledge that we have that and we have to create sort of a gatekeeping mechanism to be sure we're not taking advantage of people. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that means you just can't play with new people. Sometimes that means that you have to sort of set a boundary for yourself that says, I'm not doing this with anybody unless they've been involved for X. Mm-hmm. Um, and I completely agree with what, and I, I just think that is the responsible turn. Might there be exceptions to the boundary you create? Sure, you've got to use your own judgment. But I think if you're not actively thinking about it, you're just sort of creating little messes behind you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And to Susan's point, I agree with her that it's not typically the event producer, the club owner. They're much too busy doing the thing that they do. It's sort of one step back from that. Because we get very entitled based on this time and energy and commitment we put into these things, right? And it's a superhuman emotion. I don't I don't think anybody wakes up and says, I'm going to take advantage of some new people today. It doesn't look like that, right? This is just the, sort of their domain. And they've put all this time and energy and passion into this. And this is what they're getting out of it. And then they create all these messes behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, with swinging especially, um, you know, my partner and I will often, like, if we if we get to talking to somebody and we're thinking about kind of playing together and we realize they're, like, brand new, you know what I mean? Like, this might be the first time at the club. What we'll often do is do soft swinging. You know what I mean? We'll go into the back and we'll have sex with each other, um, you know, my partner and I. And they'll have sex with each other on the same bed. And that's often enough. 
for people who are brand new. That's often enough to blow their minds, right? <laughs> so, you have to be, I think it's very important that you go slowly with people who are brand new. Those of us who have more experience just need to be, you know, sure, I would have loved to have like completely, you know, done a full swap and do the whole thing. And But I have found over the years that if you do it very slowly, if you start slow, if you let them initiate more and you want to make sure it's both couple, both parts of the couple, you know, you always encounter that where one is really gung-ho. I always just judge what I do by the, the one who's holding back the most. You know what I mean? I go the, at the speed of the slowest person. And often we're the ones kind of throwing up the, okay, we'll, we'll play again. You know, it's not like you have to shove everything into one encounter. And I think some of the best relationships that happen out of the lifestyle are people that go slow, they take the time to get to know each other, and then they end up like, you know, playing for 15 years, 20 years, you know, and going on cruises together. So I have that vision in mind of I want to make sure I don't leave a mess behind, as as Tess says. I want to make sure I'm leaving behind somebody who could be a potential friend and and who looks back on our encounter and feels good about it. I wasn't trying to get something out of it. We were trying to create a good experience for everyone. Absolutely. And I think that goes both ways. So as somebody who is an ambassador of the Swinger Lifestyle um, and somebody who, you know, has the knowledge and education, it's also my job to like over communicate with the newer couples, you know, and, and let them know that like, this is a safe space to do that. Like, that's something that me and if, if we meet a really new couple, um, we let them know like, Hey, we're a safe couple. Like we get it. We know what you guys are dealing with. If you need extra time to go chat, if you have questions for us, like we're absolutely here to help you. If you need help, if you don't, and you're like, you know, and and we don't do that out of like a manipulation way. We do it out of like, we've been there and we knew that we we were there before and we never had that. Like we went to our first swinger club and, you know, like I would say like the first year we probably made a lot of bad decisions because we just didn't have the education and we didn't have a couple. I mean, the couple that we did swap with at first, like they were awesome and they were kind of like that for us. They created a safe environment where they were like, do you guys have questions for us? Like, we know this is your first time. Like, how can we help you? You know? So I think it's really important for the people who do maybe have that privilege to, um, create safe spaces for new couples, you know, in a good way. Yeah, and I think you can do that just by, you know, seeing when people come in. Like if it's your, if you're a more experienced person and you see new people come in, you can just go up and talk to them. I do that at kink clubs. I do that at lifestyle clubs. I, I have nothing to do with these clubs, but like I get right out there and I'm like, hi, you look, you know, you look new. Do you have any questions? And if I see kind of um, a couple that seems really intense to try to get these people alone or something like that. I, you know, I, I, I let them know, you know, I go up to the, to, to where they're getting a drink and I say, you know, you can decide what you want to do here. Don't feel pressure. You know what I mean? Without pointing anybody out, but just kind of giving them that information. I mean, I have that privilege. So I feel like I need to be able to give back to people and try to give them as much information as possible. Yeah, I agree. I do the same. I do the same thing. Like, Hey, just checking in with you guys. How's everything going? You know, and just, little check-ins like that with newer couples and like that 
because like I said, when we first went to a swingers club, like we sat in the corner and we just like looked around and just like, we didn't talk to anybody and we were scared and no one like came up to us and was like, Hey, you guys look new, you know, um, we had, sometimes it's important to like create your own safe space with your partner. And like, um, it's nice when you're in a swingers environment with a, with a partner, because you kind of have that safety net. And I feel like when you're alone, like if you're a unicorn or a single male, that can be a little bit scarier to navigate. Cause you're just like, I don't have a safety net. It's all me. So maybe bring a friend with you. Um, or, you know, a trusted couple to really help you, especially if you're newer, um, to create safe spaces for ourselves as well. Did you want to add anything, Tess? We got it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, but um, it really would have saved me a lot of, like, time if I had just known, like, hey, you can go talk to people. <laughs> Um, so I want to talk about key factors about consent, kind of moving on to this consent piece of all of this, especially because it is uh, consent month. And, you know, what are, what are your biggest key factors, Susan, when it comes to consent, especially in the ethical non-monogamy space? I think it's really important to think about that because a lot of people don't even know what consent is. I mean, consent not really defined in sexual assault laws. Um, there is a new model penal code on sexual assault that will be published next year that actually finally has a definition of consent in it. And so when we talk about consent, it's what I think of is it's honesty. It's not trying to lie or manipulate somebody. It's respect. So there's that kind of equality aspect. It's not like you're, you've got an expectation, like you said. You don't go into it expecting, I'm going to get sex tonight, and I've just got to find that person who, like, does it, right? That That's not what consent is about. Consent is finding somebody to create the shared space together, not to create your dream, right? One person's dream. And I think it's also, I mean, in order to get consent, you have to communicate, right? You have to talk. You have to be able to exchange this information. Um, so you have to be able to talk about difficult things. You have to be able to talk about your feelings, what you're feeling at the moment. Like you said several times, what you're going to consent to depends on the night, depends on the environment, who you're with. So you have to be able to try to communicate your feelings to the people around you. And it's also being able to talk about things like SCI status, right? So like you're at a club and suddenly you're heading to the back room. You <laughs> you got to do that fast, right? You've got to make sure that you feel comfortable saying what your status is or asking what the other person's status is or when was the last time you tested um, to, to, you know, and to, like you said, it doesn't have to be a big, dark conversation, but it's like, hey, wait a second, you know, there's a couple things I need to check in with you first and let's sit right here, you know, and before you really jump into. So I would say those are the really big things, the honesty, the respect, the willingness to talk. And I think it's also that, personal responsibility in terms of not just going along to the ride. Sometimes, you know, hey, a red flag is somebody who moves the relationship along really fast. Like you meet somebody at a club or at an event and suddenly they're just pushing, pushing, pushing to try to get, or you're just starting to date somebody and it's like they're love bombing you with all this attention and, you know, maybe even gifts. You you just, you want to pull back because um, you don't want to be hustled 
into a direction that you don't want to go. And you can often tell that's what somebody's trying to do because when you pull back and you establish a boundary or you slow things down, the person just goes off to somebody else. And you're sitting there at the club going, wait a second, they were just doing that to me, you know, and it makes it very clear to you that this was about them. It mm-hmm. was not about trying to explore a relationship with you. And the new section 213 Susan mentioned, which finally has a definition of consent, but as remarkable as that progress was and the changes they made were, it still isn't affirmative consent. And the bottom line is, did you have enough information so that your yes is meaningful and informed? Did you know what you agreed to? Did you understand what you were agreeing to? Do you share enough language and communication and information mm-hmm. with your partner that wh- how it ended was the way you all expected it to end when you began? We write our life. We make these choices to design this life that we want. And it's really important that we're not following sort of someone else's prescription of behavior or activity designed by someone else. It's about creating the life we want for ourselves and finding the people who fit into that magical universe that we are creating. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask if you could, if Susan, if you could explain more, maybe just give some examples of like what manipulation and coercion can look like. Sure. You know, like manipulation is somebody saying something like, well, you're here. Don't, you know, what did you expect would happen? You know what I mean? They're trying to replace what your vision of something is with, um, with what their vision is, where they want you to go. And so they'll kind of verbally kind of um, walk you down a different path. Um, or, you know, say you're talking to somebody and your partner goes off to, to go to the bathroom. And that person is just like, well, you know, they're back there. You know, you know, they're they're looking at people or they're doing something. They're trying to manipulate a certain emotion out of you. So I think if you're ever talking to somebody and you're feeling like, you know, your gut, you have to be able to listen to your gut. Is, is this is not right, you know? I feel like somebody's trying to push me in a direction that I don't want to go. So I think that um, that's a couple of um, of examples, you know, for coercion. It's more have a drink, you know what I mean? Oh, here, here's some ecstasy. Take this. This will make it so much better, right? Um and coercion we often find more in the relationships where somebody puts the relationship on the line. They say, if you don't explore this with me, then the relationship is over. Or I don't see how I could could be in this relationship anymore. Nobody should be going into non-monogamy because they feel like they have to. Mm-hmm. Right? That is a completely coercive situation. Our and I get that out. a lot. I get that so many in my DMs. I get sing or I get men in relationships and they're like, I really want to do this. And my wife is not okay with it. And I'm just like, yeah, you have to deal with that. And if you don't want to deal with that and you want to do this separately, that's not a thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's not a thing. Um, So I'm like, 
you have to make that decision. What's more important to you is like being ethically non-monogamous or like being with your partner. Um, but your partner, they absolutely have a say in what they do with their body and what they're comfortable with. And if non-monogamy is not for them, you have to respect that. But I, that's like the second most question or thought that I get DM'd from especially men. I'm not just calling out the men here, but like they're, they say like my wife, I've talked to her so many times and she just won't budge. She won't do it. And I'm like, I I don't really know. I don't really have an answer for you with that, but you can't coerce. Like they'll, they'll say to me, how do I get my wife to become a swinger? How do I get my is the worst language you can use because that is absolute coercion right there. What do I say to my wife to get her to become a swinger? Like you don't say anything to your wife. Like there's no language that I can give you. I can give you tools to have that conversation, but I'm not, there is no language because there, that it just doesn't work like that. So I know Tess, you were going to add something. Sorry. Well, yeah. And everybody, no, your, your point is valid. Everybody gets to make their own choices. If this person says I'm a swinger and I need to do this, then their partner absolutely needs to make a choice. Do I want to do this with you? Am I okay with you doing this on your own? Is this the end of our relationship? Because I can't live with that. Those are all adult decisions. Those are the end. All of those things that I mentioned are a successful negotiating process. Successful negotiation doesn't mean I got what I wanted. It means that we have a meeting of the minds and everyone understands what we've agreed to. And sometimes what we've agreed to is we want different things. Um, you were mentioning about manipulating. How about, and I can't believe neither of you said it because we have talked about this. Well, real swingers. I love those faces, right? Oh, yes. That's my favorite. Okay. My favorite is you're not a real swinger if you don't do this. I, that just confuses me because the swinger space, I feel like the swinger space is a sex positive environment, whatever that means to you individually or to you and your partner. Uh, that could mean going and watching. That could mean you and your partner have a date night and you go in the back and you close the door and no one watches you and you don't watch anybody and you go and you just have sex at a sex club with your partner. That's it. That's all it could mean to you that you enjoy or you enjoy dancing and dressing up and having a good time and hanging out with people who you consider your friends, but you don't swap at the club and you don't have sex at the club, but you just enjoy the community. That is also a very valid part of the swinger community. And a lot of people, I get this online all the time is you're not a real swinger because you're online and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what's a the definition of a real swinger? There really is no definition. Yeah. Also, non-monogamy is that you're making individual choices. You're not conforming to what society expects. So the last thing you want to do is to conform to what somebody expects from a swinger, right? No, the whole point is you are developing this yourself and that's what makes it so empowering and so freeing for individuals when they can draw their own boundaries, 
when they realize they can say no. I mean, that was a big thing for me. Like, really, I can say no? When I first started exploring, it was it was kind of a revelation that I could chart my own path. And I've kind of really clung to that ever since and really resist this idea of anybody telling me how I should be living my life. And something you both brought up that I think is worth mentioning, there is this element of folks, I don't mean to call people inanimate objects, but sort of this cadre of people who really enjoy that sort of outlaw status, that sort of um, under the ray, over the radar, I don't, I don't know, under the radar, I don't know, I don't know the right language, but that sort of outside of society status. And so many of us being open and on social media and doing podcasts and sort of belies that status that they they really enjoy. So I think maybe it threatens the thing that is sexy for them. Yeah. And I've, I've heard that too, because like, that is, uh, I think one of the criticisms of it is like, oh my God, this was an underground lifestyle for so long and it was so taboo. And like, this is and you know i think it goes the same way with like sex uh, you know strip strip clubs and sex work and stuff like that like it's sexy because it's taboo and like that's why uh, there is that criticism like well you're making it like mainstream and it's like we're not doing that so that like it's not mainstream and or that it is mainstream we're doing that so that we can educate people that this is an option for them because I kind of wish I would have known that it was an option earlier in my life. Um, but I never knew it was an option, you know? So um, I think you're absolutely right about that though. That is a big criticism, but it, it has to do with the taboo aspect of it for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and more importantly, the work that you're doing and the work that organizations like the NCSF are doing, it's not even about making it less sexy or less taboo. It's so people can keep their children and their jobs and not end up in jail. Right. So if it makes it a little more mainstream in order to make sure that people aren't discriminated over it. Okay. I'll take a little less sexy to make sure I don't end up in a jumpsuit. Also, you know, to make sure that like, you're not like making it, normal and actually knowing what it is. I think a lot of people have a concept in their mind of what swinging is. Oh, swinging is just for like me personally, right? When when my partner came to me and said, oh, there's these swinger clubs, you know, and I was like, okay, first of all, I am not going to some club where people are putting their keys in a bowl and my parents' friends are going to be there because they're all like 67-year-old people like I am not doing that, you know, because that that's the mainstream concept of what swinging and ethical non-monogamy is, because we don't have a lot of great media. We don't have a lot of great representations within the media of what swinging is. So when we're representing it, we want to do that from an educational um, standpoint. You know, this is really what the swinger lifestyle is like. Yeah, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, guys. It's not all perfect, but it also can be very fulfilling and um, very fun and very sexy as well. That's not making it, I don't think, any less taboo. That's just 
teaching people that like, Hey, we're not all just like these people putting keys in a bowl. (laughs) Like, right. (laughs) Do key parties even happen anymore? Cause that was even before my time. Does that even happen anymore? I don't even know if I hear like myths, right. And like, you hear a myth because I meet a lot of different, you know, age groups of swingers and like some of them say that they did, but like, I really, it's not on the scale of like what people think that they are. Um, and again, I think it's because the only representation within media um, is like, first of all, either swingers being so vastly different, right? So like they are really the, um, I guess you could say the outcasts of society, right? Like they're just weirdos and like sex freaks, you know, um, which we're just normal people, right? Like most of us, I know teachers, I know doctors, I know lawyers, I know people in the military, I know people, police officers, all normal people do this. It's just, we might have a little bit different, a different outlook on sexuality. And, you know, um, so I think, it's definitely all about representation and that goes with consent as well. I don't know if there's a lot of great representation in media when it comes to consent. No, unfortunately what we have is kind of the anti-representation like the Harvey Weinstein and which I, and you know, even 50 shades of gray, you know, as problematic as that little book was, it did bring a worldwide discussion about consent. And no, that's privilege and no, that's stalking. And, you know, maybe that's a little coercive. Um, and, uh, so I think that we're kind of starting to get there where people are having more discussions in the, in the mainstream media about consent, but there's still a long way to go because there's not a lot of discussion about consent in pornography. It would make a huge difference if every porn scene had a negotiation and a little recap afterwards. They used to do that with things like uh, kink pornography, where they would show that this was completely consensual, and then they stopped doing that. And so now what you just see is suddenly people appear in a room together and wordlessly have sex. And that's not a very good representation of the way that you really do need to to be approaching this. That gives me a really good idea. Thank you. <laughs> that we can show those moments. Um, you know, I'm a big advocate for ethical porn. And I think that that goes along with ethical porn, like it, and it also helps give young people or um, people who may not know. Cause again, I think ed- education is so important and it's such a big, important piece. And like, if that, if you're getting your education from porn, from porn, like that works too, you know? <laughs> um, And I did want to talk about just to kind of, add on to this consent conversation. I know we already talked about alcohol and, and, you know, um, substance, substances and stuff at events. Um, and then another key one obviously is age, right? So this is like, it seems very obvious, but it's also something like we, everybody consenting to the situation should be above the age of 18. Like, which seems very obvious, but like I started as a unicorn when I was 17 with couples who were like 19, 20 years old, you know, um, obviously this was in the early two thousands and things are different now. That was the days of Craigslist, 
but um, definitely we want to have that conversation, right? Yeah, absolutely. It need, you need to be a, a consenting adult. That's what these communities are about, consenting adults. And, you know, the age of consent might be 16 in a certain state or 17 in a state, but we're talking about sex like 301. We're talking about not the, the beginning parts, but, you know, you have to be able to communicate about this and you have to be able to understand the risk. And so we really don't want to be rushing people under 18 into this. This is something that... Um, NCSF is adamant about that um, this these communities are really for consenting adults. And so people could be curious about it, but they can wait a couple of years. It's, it's not going to kill them right. <laughs> to, to wait until they're 18 to go to a sex club. And then, you know, and, and you can even talk about people who are older, like say, you know, 60 years old, and they're trying this for the first time. They're still a brand new newbie. You know what I mean? It's, and you can meet up with a 21-year-old who has a ton more experience. And so it's, you can't just be ageist about it um, and say all oh, the youngsters, you know, uh, are, are, are the ones we have to watch out for because it really is the newbies, the people who are just first coming into this. But I agree with your point. Yeah, me too. And there's a difference between a state's age of consent, which might be 14 or 16 years old, and a consenting adult. Mm-hmm. consenting adult applies over 18 you can vote you can fight for your country right absolutely and to add on to that mental your mental health plays a huge role in this um and and people don't really think about this when it comes to consent but like if you're going through a mental health crisis and um you know you you can't really consent and uh we actually just susan we just had this conversation um because we made like an infographic about it uh in one of the ncsf meetings that we just had and like what does that i know that we really talked about it and i want to talk about it here but like what does that look like a mental health um kind of you're not in your right headspace like what does that look like so you know lots of people have different um mental health disorders. You could be bipolar, you could be depressed, um, you could be on medication for certain things, and you need to be talking to your partner about, you know, what that looks like if you're going into an episode or having a crisis. You know, you want to be kind of preempt that and talk about that. And certainly if you're, you're somebody who you know, you're with somebody new maybe and you don't know what might be happening. If the person is not responding to you, I mean, I think that um, people can can just have trauma flashbacks sometimes and they can freeze and they're not verbally responsive to you. If somebody's not talking to you, you need to stop whatever you're doing and and give them care and make sure that everybody's in, in their right mind because, you know, it could be completely inadvertent. You did something very minor and somebody's triggered, and you do not want to keep pushing them. Um, so that's the sort of mental health crisis that you want to be aware it can happen to anybody. Yeah. And I think that goes for if if you're having conversations with somebody online, you know, and you get to know them, and then you you meet them at a club or you meet them out on a date or something, you know, have those check if you know that they've talked to you a little bit. Um, and some people might not open up about it like others, but like just check in, like, hey, how how we feeling today? You know, um, that's a great part of communication, definitely. 
Tess, did you want to add anything about that? No. And I, I do think I'm a big believer that everyone should have a therapist. And I just think mental health is so important and it affects so many areas of our life and all of us could be healthier. Right. Mm -hmm. And I just think everyone should have a therapist all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are non-monogamy. I mean, because I think a lot of people get uncomfortable, especially in the non-monogamy space, like, okay. And I know like when me and Brad were doing couples counseling, like, our couples counselor was awesome, but like he was a minister of a church, you know, and like we couldn't open up about our, and like, this was a huge thing that we were dealing with. Like we're dealing with all of these situations and mental health issues that, you know, maybe have a direct bearing on our non-monogamous life, you know? So like, it's important for people to know that like, there are therapists who do, they do have a lot and, you know, it's getting bigger. Um, I was looking up some trainings for myself and like, there's a whole entire huge course about non-monogamy and ethical non-monogamy for therapists now. So a lot more of them are becoming informed. Uh, but again, like, uh, Susan was saying earlier, you know, if you need somebody for therapy and you're like, okay, well, I want somebody who like gets my life. You can go on the NCSF website and find them. And NCSF just published what professionals need to know about consensual non-monogamy. So if you have a therapist and you're not sure how to talk to them about this, reach out to us. We'll help you. You could provide them materials to help you better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I love that. Like you guys are so just every, like all of these things are such big facets. And like, if you're in the lifestyle, I feel like you tend to be a little bit more emotionally intelligent. And I say this a lot and like, it's a healing journey and all of that. That's why having, you know, um, mental health experts and therapists and stuff that can really help, you know, um, it's also a spiritual journey as well, you know? Um, and that's what, one of the things I love about ethical non-monogamy is like, it's all these great things wrapped into one as long as we make it great. Um, so yeah, I think anything else to add about consent, any like major takeaways about consent for you guys? Like what's, if you could tell somebody like one major takeaway when it comes to consent and ethical non-monogamy, what would it be? I would say um, check in with yourself. You know, check in with what you're feeling and make sure that you can voice what it is that you're feeling. And, it, you know, through this journey, you have to, at the very bare minimum, be able to do that, be able to trust yourself that you can say what it is that you want or don't want. So I think that's the biggest thing. Oh, and share an NCSF infographic for Consent Month. <laughs> I think the thing I, I would want people to know is that everything that we do is negotiable. And it should be. There are no hard and fast rules. You get to create the life that you want. Yeah, 100%. And I think for me, the biggest thing for consent is be your own advocate. Um, find, figure out what works for you, what you like, kind of like what Susan said, but yeah, be, be your own advocate and, and let consent empower you. 
for sure. Well, as we wrap up here, I know we talked about um, being able to find, you know, the NCSSF website. Where else can you ladies be found if people have questions, if they want education, um, if they just really like your pod, this podcast and just want to tell you great job? How can people reach out to you? So if you send an email to contact at ncsfreedom.org, it actually comes to both of us. So if you want to send Tess and Susan an email, just telling them how much you love the podcast, or, you know, if you have questions, anything that we talked about, um, feel free to do so. Um, I'm sure you guys love to hear from people and, um, just really enjoy. I I don't know. I I when I first reached out to NCSF, like they were really responsive for me. Um, and we didn't really talk about custody and court stuff and like legal stuff. I know um, Susan and I talked a lot about that in the last podcast that we did. But like, if someone is dealing with a legal battle or um, something along those lines when it comes to uh, you know custody or um, all that all that fun stuff. It's not really fun, but um, they can also reach out to you there as well, correct? Yes. Uh, you can reach out to us about any kind of issue you're having. And you can also follow us on social media. Um, you know, we're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Tumblr, and Kylie's doing our TikTok. Yay. Yes, we have a new TikTok. So if you're not following the NCSF TikTok, uh, it's NCS Freedom Zero on TikTok. <laughs> 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 so yeah um any last words for the listeners um anything you just really want to get out there into the universe for our listeners especially for consent month well, i'm just so glad that people are willing to listen um and um are interested in consent i think that's the biggest thing we just need to keep this conversation going so thank you so much kylie for having us on absolutely absolutely thank you any last words, Tess? Just um, that NCSF is made up of all of us. NCSF is truly made up of the people who, who join and participate. So if anybody's got any activist or advocate in them, um, reach out and their voice matters. Yeah, absolutely. And even if, you know... Um, even if you just want to help, you want to be a part of the conversation. Um, I think that's important too. I've so many people who like, they want to help and they want to be a part of this, but they don't know how. And I just, I'm always like, well, you know, contact NCSF. Like I didn't know how for the longest time. Um, and then, you know, I had a conversation with my friends at the swing nation and we were just like this organization, you know, we should reach out and see what we can do not only to help, but like to educate ourselves. And I think, you know, if you, if you are in the lifestyle and you, you know, want to volunteer, NCSF is always looking for volunteers. We all have gifts and we all have wonderful things about us. Some people are better at some things than others, but um, definitely, definitely reach out to them for that. So thank you ladies so much for coming on. I can't wait to, um, you know, have this come out. And uh, we're really excited about lots of awesome things that NCSF is doing. So uh, more to come. So thank you so much. Thank you.